Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 6. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're at the right podcast. Today I'm talking about Season 6, Episode 10, Wrecked, where Willow dives deeper into magic and Buffy deals with the fallout from her night with Spike. I am Lisa M. Lilly, mystery and thriller author, story coach, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com, where you can learn more about fiction writing, publishing, and book marketing. Along with a breakdown of the episode, I'll talk about how repetition affects the pace of Wrecked, whether this episode works better standing alone or as part two of Smashed, why conveying emotion through actions and indirect dialogue is often more powerful than stating feelings directly, and whether the Willow Rack addiction story fits the Buffyverse as we know it. As always, there'll be no spoilers until the end when I talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Wrecked aired the first time on November 27, 2001. It was written by Marty Noxon and directed by David Solomon. It starts with some minor opening conflict that quickly escalates. Tara and Dawn wake up on the couch, cartoons play on TV, and Tara's surprised to see it's 7 a.m. and worried that nobody woke them up. They check the bedrooms and realize that Buffy and Willow both did not come home last night. Tara reassures Dawn they probably just lost track of time. The scene cuts to Buffy gasping as she wakes up on the basement floor in that house or construction site, whatever it was she and Spike were in. Spike lies on the floor as well, shirtless, looking far more relaxed than Buffy. And Buffy says, when when did the building fall down? And Spike responds, I don't know, must have been sometime between the first time and the, uh, and Buffy says, oh, and she looks up and around and says, oh my God. At two minutes, we go to the credits. On return, Buffy dresses and hunts for her shoes. Spike calls her love and asks her what's the hurry. Buffy snaps at him that she left Dawn alone all night and don't call her love. Spike, though, points out she didn't take issue with that or any of the other little nasties they whispered last night, but Buffy's not having it. Spike wants her to stay with him since he can't go out during the daylight, and she tells him last night was the end of this freak show. And what did he think? They'd read the newspaper together and play footsie under the table. That's not exactly what Spike had in mind, and he pulls Buffy to the floor. She resists at first, but they end up kissing and quite possibly heading for a repeat of the night before until Spike says he knew the only thing better than killing the Slayer would be doing a Slayer. She slaps him and asks if that's what this was about. He tells her not to throw stones. She's quite the groupie herself. Vampires make her hot. At 4 minutes 20 seconds, Buffy says, a vampire got me hot. One, but he's gone. You're just... You're just convenient. Her voice breaks when she says it. Spike looks hurt. And he asks, is she going to go back to treating him like dirt until she has an itch she can't scratch? We'll forget it. He tells her everything changed last night. It was a revelation. She can act high and mighty, but, quote, I know where you live now, Slayer. I've tasted it, end quote. Buffy says, get a grip, like you're God's gift. And Spike says, hardly, wouldn't be nearly as interesting, would it? He also says he may be dirt, but she's the one who likes to roll in it. Buffy threatens to kill him if he tells anyone, seeming quite serious. But Spike is not impressed and pulls her panties out of his pocket and hands them to her, and she slugs him. I have, in the foreshadowing sections of previous episodes, been questioning the way Spike's behavior toward Buffy changes in this season. Not not so much behavior, his 
attitude, particularly about her friends and the way he's not so much seeming like a friend to her. But now I wonder, is this in large part a result of how Buffy treats him? I'll have to watch for that going forward. I also wonder, are Buffy's feelings of revulsion now about Spike or are they about herself? Probably both, but why does she feel this was so wrong? We have that mention of Angel, so maybe she feels that Angel would look down on her for this. Also, in Buffy, we don't see any of our friends that I can think of having sex for fun. So I don't know if that is part of it, that for Buffy and and at the time period, probably, well, certainly much more so than now, the idea of a woman having sex for fun was still uh, considered shameful to some extent at least certainly that's what I was raised with maybe Buffy is struggling with that or is it Spike's lack of soul because she told Dawn last season that Spike and Angel are not the same a chip is not like a soul having made that distinction and I think feeling very strongly about it even though Spike was often fighting on her side now she is disgusted with herself for no longer or at least not making enough of a distinction it's hard to say I do like that we don't know for sure in this episode what it is that disgusts Buffy so much, but I don't think that mention of Angel could be accidental. It It is on Spike's mind, and maybe she does also feel embarrassed by the idea of being a groupie, that she is drawn to darkness, drawn to vampires. And we could go back and talk about Dracula as well, but I want to get on with the episode. At 5 minutes 56 seconds, at the Summer's house, Tara makes pancakes for Dawn. Dawn wants to call Xander to see if he's heard from anyone. She worries they're all in a ditch somewhere. Her mom always talked about ditches, and I thought that was funny because that that was something my mother said a lot. I thought you were dead in a ditch. Tara thinks they should give it a little more time. We are past 10% through the episode. Usually before that, we'll see a story spark or inciting incident that gets the main plot rolling. For Spike and Buffy... At 10%, Buffy told Spike he was just convenient. And if we see their story as being complete in this episode versus part two of last week, that was the story spark that encapsulates the conflict between them and sets them off on an arc that does reach some resolution in this episode. If we see Wrecked as part two of Smashed, We don't need a story spark here. We had this major commitment and reversal at the midpoint of the double episodes when Buffy chose to have sex with Spike. She committed to asking, to taking what she wanted, to acting on her desire. And we can see clearly to her, it was a pretty major reversal, at least in how she sees herself. For Willow, looking at wrecked as a single episode story the spark happens in the next scene at six minutes 10 seconds willow and amy walk into the kitchen talking excitedly about what they did last night and willow stops when she sees tara and this moment between willow and tara which is unspoken drives the story in this episode tara awkwardly explains that she stayed the night because no one came home. Willow introduces Amy. Tara doesn't pick up on the name, and Willow says, Amy, Amy the rat. And she turns to Amy and says, sorry. And Amy responds, no, that's fair. I was a rat. Amy raves about all the changes in the world and about Willow being a freaking amazing witch. She can mess with dimensions now. She made a blowhard guy's mouth disappear. A wonderful way to get in a little exposition from last time. Amy does not catch Tara's worried glance at Willow, but she does apologize for talking too much. Tara says she has to go and walks out. 
great example of wordless communication. So much emotion in Tara's face. Buffy walks in now and winces as she sits down. Dawn observes that she's all sore and limpy. Buffy claims she's okay. She had a fight, the all-nighter kind, and she asks about Tara. Willow says she guesses Tara stayed over, and that's when Buffy realizes that Willow didn't come home either. She doesn't get mad at Willow. It would be pretty hard for her to do that, and she asks Dawn, is she okay? Dawn assures everyone she is fine, but the pancakes are burning, and Dawn says Tara was making them. Willow goes to the stove, stares down at the burnt pancakes, and turns them off. And she looks so sad. This is a great moment for showing Willow's feelings about Tara leaving simply by the way she slowly turns off those pancakes and looks at them for a moment before turning aside. Amy leaves for home and Buffy and Willow are both exhausted and say they need sleep. Buffy apologizes but Dawn says it's okay. She knows Buffy's beat from monster wrestling all night. She should rest. This is a great line that I almost missed. It is so fun because Buffy was literally monster wrestling all night and in the morning was figuratively wrestling with her inner demons. Willow too apologizes. Both of them head off to bed and Dawn to herself says, no problem. I'll just go find some awake people. This too shows Dawn's sadness and is a great example of dialogue that does not directly state her feelings, but throughout this episode, we will, as an audience, read between the lines and see how lonely Dawn is. And she does understand that Willow and Buffy are tired. She does understand that they didn't mean to leave her alone. And I say this because we see her throughout saying, hey, I'm okay, I'm fine, being very cheery. But then when she's alone or in some of her other comments, we will hear how much she really could use some company. Upstairs, Willow tries to close her curtains with magic, but to her surprise, nothing happens. At the magic box, Xander and Anya read these old antique books. They're supposed to be looking for answers to the dilemma from last episode about a frozen person and a diamond being stolen from the museum. And the frost monster and the diamond add to my feeling that this is a two-part story with Smashed, except that the frost monster thing doesn't resolve from the Scooby's perspective in this episode either. So it is more of just a background running thread for a number of episodes. Xander leans over and is shocked to see that Anya has a bride magazine inside her book. He accuses her of thinking that Martha Stewart stole the diamond. But Anya says that's ridiculous. Martha's not a demon. She's a witch. She must be. No one could do that much decoupage without calling on the forces of darkness. Buffy points out that there is work to do. And Anya agrees but transitions to her wedding and whether she'll have the bridesmaids wear cocktail dresses or the traditional blood larva. After all, she was a demon for a thousand years. She can't turn her back on all her people's ways. Another nice quick moment of exposition. The writers are so good at getting in Anya's demon past in various ways. Buffy reminds them again of the danger out there, but Xander says Anya's right. They're not getting anywhere with the books. Maybe Buffy should hit the streets, and he suggests patrolling with Spike. Buffy immediately says no. When Anya asks if Willow could help, Buffy tells them about Willow and Amy. Xander and Anya worry that Willow's doing magic, and Amy isn't going to be one to monitor her. This is one of the repetitive scenes from Smashed. The three of them are going to have almost exactly the same conversation they had in Smashed. The lines are different. I enjoy the back and forth, but it's the same substance in the same place with the same people showing the same parallel between Buffy and Willow. And that is part of the pacing issue I have with these two episodes. If you've watched smashed right before this or even a week ago 
I don't think as a viewer you need this reiterated and I just paused this recording to double check and the original air dates they did air only a week apart. This would make more sense to me to have this repetitive scene if there was a two-month break in between the way sometimes the shows would break for the holidays or have some sort of hiatus but we don't have that so now Buffy argues much as she did in Smashed that maybe Willow doesn't need to be monitored she's a grown-up she's going through something she might have reasons for acting this way quote and so what if she crossed a line we all do stuff stupid stuff end quote and she finishes that then they learn so why should they be judgy about willow and in the line i love xander says not judgy buff just observey anya says willow's acting different she's not herself there are some nuances that are different in this scene because buffy talks about crossing a line clearly talking about herself and what happened with Spike is part of why she is very hesitant to say Willow needs someone to monitor her. I like the Buffy-Willow parallel, but setting the scene in the same place, having it be with the same people, making it so similar, slows the pace and makes me think there isn't quite enough story for a double episode and yet perhaps too much to fit it all in one episode so I wonder if at any point there was a discussion of that if initially they tried breaking it as one episode realized it didn't work stretched it to two I don't know but I would have liked to have seen some other scene here or dropping some part of the scene from the previous episode we're now about a quarter way through the episode at 12 minutes 48 seconds in a single episode story around here we'd see what i think of as the one quarter twist that first major plot turn in any story that comes from outside the protagonist spins the story in a new direction and raises the stakes and we do have one here it begins and then escalates amy and willow walk in downtown sunnydale and willow confides that it took all day to get her magic back and she's still worn out after everything they did at the bronze the night before amy knows someone who can do spells that last for days there's no burnout factor and she adds quote this guy will blow your mind end quote Willow asks if it's dangerous and Amy glances at her and says, would that stop you? The scene cuts to a dark alley, trash blows in the wind. Amy says, this is it. She feels it. And she steps through an invisible door and disappears. Willow puts her hand out, feels it as well, and follows. She emerges in a dimly lit waiting area. It has worn couches. The walls are watermarked. And there are other people waiting there looking agitated. I see the first turn as Amy making this proposal. I know someone and who cares if it's dangerous. It's escalated when we see this waiting room. This is clearly not a good, happy, healthy place to be. Then it escalates further. Rack steps out. He's got long hair, a low kind of scary voice. He is a big guy and just ominous looking. And the other people there argue over who's next and are not happy when Rack says Amy and Willow. And we cut to a commercial. And all of this spins the story. It comes from outside Willow, though she does agree to go with Amy, but it comes from Amy and definitely raises the stakes because we have clear signs of real danger here. It also hammers home the addiction metaphor, and this is where it becomes really heavy-handed with a scene of people who seem very much like addicts demanding that they need to see Rack now, the look of the decor. And this also is where I feel like we break the Buffyverse a bit. Maybe not break. I, I'm sure the writers would say they expand it, but it feels odd to have this concept now of people giving other people spells, needing spells without burnout factors. On the other hand, you could see that as a shift. Willow's magic before this has seemed more organic and she has grown gradually 
into it. Yes, bringing Buffy back was a huge spell, but it didn't seem like she had to go to someone else to get it. So this is a change. At 14 minutes, 47 seconds inside Rack's closed off room, he comments on Amy's time as a rat and her messing with spells she doesn't understand. So he knew about what happened to her. Sparks fly when he rubs his hands together, and he says Willow's giving off vibes. Willow apologizes. She doesn't mean to do that if it's a negative. A little bit of the old Willow, the shy Willow coming through here. But Rack is not criticizing. He's intrigued. He says power's coming off her in waves. And Willow says not so much. She goes on that she can do things but she gets tapped out. She's used nearly every spell she knows. Another thing that we have not heard of before in the Buffyverse, the idea that there are a finite number of spells that Willow could find on her own. And Rack says, and what do you want me to do about that? Willow responds, I I don't know. I thought Amy said, and Rack says, Amy said, Rack is so well drawn. I hate guys like this. I have worked with and for guys like this. In my experience, it's always been guys. I'm sure women could do this as well. But that sarcasm, that putting the person on the spot when he knows exactly why Willow is there, he can intuit what Amy told her, but he is purposely making Willow uncomfortable, which he will continue to do. Side note on Willow needing to find more spells. It does occur to me that she probably went to books quite a bit, and I could see her exhausting the books she has and not wanting to go to Giles or to the magic box, which she probably did in the past. We we saw her there with other proprietors, but given Giles' concerns about her and their conflict over magic, I could see her not wanting to go there to find more about spells or to learn more. I might have liked an explicit nod to that as powerful as indirection can be when it comes to showing feelings or having the audience fill in some blanks. That would have helped me go with this shift to this Rack character and this idea that Willow doesn't know where else to go or what else to do to expand her magic further. Rack continues being a jerk by asking if Amy said how Willow could help him. Did you know that you can borrow audiobooks free from your library? Those include the audiobook editions of my book's Super Simple Story Structure and the One Year Novelist, a week-by-week guide to writing your novel in one year. Check your library's website or call them. If the books aren't already in the catalog, your librarian can easily request them. You can also borrow the print editions of those books and other writing as a second career books, including seasons one and two of Buffy and the Art of Story. And remember, all of these books are in my clever nonfiction author pen name, L.M. Lily. If you want to check out my mystery series, you can get the print editions of those books at the library as well. The first one is The Worried Man, a QC Davis mystery by Lisa M. Lilly. Willow stutters a bit about paying him or her computer skills, but what he wants is, quote, to take a little tour, end quote. Willow's nervous. Amy nods and says it's over fast. Rack puts his hand on Willow's chest just below her neck. She's apprehensive, but then seems ecstatic. He leans and tells her in her ear that she tastes like strawberries. Willow sways. Music with a hint of the psychedelic 60s and 70s starts. 
the scene cuts to Amy spinning around so fast in that room that she becomes invisible. Willow is on her back, but the perspective shifts. We see she's on the ceiling. She clearly feels amazing. She looks down. The floor becomes a lush green garden or jungle. But then something is in the bushes. We get a glimpse of a demon, a woman's leg, and then the demon roars and Willow screams. She lands face down on the floor. Then the camera zooms in on Willow, maybe walking through Sunnydale or maybe hallucinating it. Her heartbeat is loud. Her pupils and irises are black. And we see her in front of the magic box. This takes that addiction and magic as drugs metaphor even further because now we see magic does make Willow high. This too felt wedged into me as I talk about more in the Patreon bonus episode, Magic as Metaphor. The concept of getting high in connection with dark magic is not completely new to the Buffy verse. Giles in The Dark Age talked about getting this incredible high from conjuring the demon. He and his friends did that in his youth and let the demon inhabit them. And it, it was this amazing experience. But the idea of someone else sending a spell into you that makes you high or magic being a substance in itself that makes you high versus the letting the demon inhabit you is new. I, I'm very curious how all of you felt about that. Did you feel like it was a natural growth from this is dark magic and this is what happened or did it feel like this shift? At 18 minutes, 52 seconds, Willow awakens on her bedroom floor. She showers, crying as water runs over her face. So the imagery evoking a hangover, perhaps even a sexual assault aftermath. She takes a sweater and pants from a box. Probably these are Tara's things. Uses magic so it sits cross-legged as if a person is wearing those clothes. Willow then leans down, rests her head on the knees, and the arms hold her. These actions are heartbreaking, and this is the epitome of that rule, or I don't like to think of it as a rule, that recommendation that you show don't tell as a writer. And it is the main way that the recommendation is helpful and applies the best, especially in short stories or novels, because there you you don't need to do mental gymnastics to try not to tell your readers anything. For instance, if you want them to know a character was born in a certain town, you can just say that during the narrative. You don't have to struggle for a conversation that gets that across or have the character visit there or have a flashback. It is okay to just tell the reader that. And if you read books you have loved, my guess is you will find that sometimes the author is just telling you how the character feels as well or the character is saying that. At the same time, it is very powerful to show it through actions, either instead or in addition. This moment with Tara's clothes magically animated holding Willow, that Willow has done this, shows us so much about her need for comfort, how sad and lost she feels. Very powerful. Also, I note Amy told the truth about Rack's spells. There's no burnout in the sense that Willow can still do magic. However, she clearly feels really bad. In the next scene, Dawn's in the kitchen. It's evening. She's alone trying to make banana and peanut butter quesadillas without using a spatula, and she burns her fingers. She is cheery about it when Willow joins her. Willow declines to share in the quesadillas. Her tummy is feeling rumbly. Dawn tells her Buffy called. She's going out patrolling straight from the magic box. And this is about the 10th time Buffy called to check in that day. Another instance of Buffy's actions, which we hear about through Dawn, illustrating how bad Buffy feels about not being home the night before. 
Willow again says she's sorry for not being there. And Dawn says, I'm so totally fine on my own, but you are going to be around tonight, right? That added line tells us so much about how Dawn wants company once more without directly saying it. Willow tells Dawn she'll stay home tonight or they could go out to the movies. Dawn, thrilled, throws out her quesadillas and leaves a note for Buffy. We're now reaching the midpoint of the episode. Usually here, we would see the protagonist make a major commitment or suffer a major reversal. And we do have something of that for Willow, for sure, less so for Buffy. If this is a two-part story with Smashed, then this point in the story is the three-quarter turn, the last major plot turn that typically grows from the midpoint and turns the story yet again, often further raising the stakes. Buffy's midpoint of sex with Spike might or might not lead to a scene later where she seeks his help, but its influence on the story more has to do with her attitude toward him than with plot developments. Willow's midpoint of all that magic at the bronze does lead her to the choice she makes, which we'll see in a moment, to stop at Rax taking Dawn with her. And that also serves as a good episode midpoint because it is both a commitment by Willow to get more magic at any cost and and a reversal that she does that bringing Dawn with her. At 21 minutes 56 seconds, Buffy returns home, hears breaking glass, and heads upstairs. She finds Amy in Willow's room and pins her against the wall. She discovers Amy stealing a baggie of something, and Amy says, it's not what you think it is, it's Sage. And Buffy responds, that is what I think it is, what's going on. Amy's responses are a bit disjointed. She says she needs this stuff, that Willow wants her to have it, and Willow understands. Buffy doesn't think so, but Amy responds, you should, she's as bad as I am, worse. Amy tells her Willow's at Rax and complains that Willow is now Rax's favorite. She also warns super strength not to shake her again. She's going to throw up. Amy doesn't know if Dawn is with Willow, but she explains that Rax's place was downtown, but it moves. She then runs to the bathroom to throw up. There is plenty of conflict here, and I enjoy the scene. At the same time, it contributes to the somewhat slow pace because Amy is telling Buffy things that we already know. If there wasn't as much other repetition, I don't think that would slow the scene because it is important that Amy tell Buffy these things and we see how Buffy reacts. At 24 minutes, Dawn and Willow are talking about the burger Dawn had and Dawn says, are you kidding? It was like a meat party in my mouth. Okay, now I'm just a kid and even I know that came out wrong. For whatever reason, I've always hated this line. Maybe it's the meat party. I know it's supposed to sound awkward, but it throws me that Dawn says, now I'm just a kid and even I know because Dawn has so often insisted that she is not a kid. It does what it needs to though because Dawn continues saying something about how Willow didn't eat and Willow claims she's saving herself for popcorn. So we know that Willow is still not feeling great after last night. Willow now asks about Dawn's visit with Tara. Dawn says they had fun, but Tara was sad. Willow though is disappointed when Dawn can't pinpoint anything Tara said that made her think that, but Dawn could just tell. Now Dawn asks if Willow's sure this is the way to the movie. It doesn't seem right. And Willow says they took the long way, but they're almost there. Willow just needs to make a quick stop first. So we didn't see the moment when Willow decided that she would go to Rax, but I do think that is either the midpoint reversal and commitment or the major plot turn because it ups the stakes significantly. 
significantly and is a really big deal whether we saw Willow make the decision or not. In the next scene, Willow leaves Dawn in the waiting room after offering to conjure her a magazine and also saying what a cool place it is, which Dawn does not agree with. Dawn asks about the movie and Willow says they'll make it, they just might miss the trailers. And Dawn says, I like the trailers. Another dialogue line that tells us how Dawn is feeling. This is part of why, as with last episode, I really like Dawn because she is trying to be understanding. She's being cheerful. She's going along with everyone. And though she does feel lonely and feel sad, and it's not that I want Dawn to have to hide her feelings. I'm comparing it with previous episodes where she was more shrieky and whiny. She's not at all like that here, and yet we do get the sense of how she feels. I'll have to look back and see if Marty Noxon and Drew Greenberg are their episodes with Dawn more likely to be the ones that I like. Do they just have a better sense of Dawn as a character? Or I should look as well at the directors. At 26 minutes, two seconds, Dawn's still in that waiting room and the clock says it's after 10. She moves when a creepy guy sits next to her on the sofa. Inside the other room, Rack sends electricity through Strawberry, as he calls Willow. She is once again on the ceiling, on her back. It's more intense. She's in a sort of energy bubble. She's breathing very relaxed in a trance state. But then once again, a demon appears. We see the demon more clearly this time. There's this bright red light and the demon breaks through it and he's carrying a girl or a woman who appears to be dead. Once more, Willow screams, camera pans to Rack who smiles and just continues on. This too ups the stakes, but it also repeats that imagery, this time not from the last episode, but from this episode, Willow on the ceiling with Rack, the electricity or lightning bolts, I didn't mention that, but they're there, her feeling wonderful, seeing the demon, and screaming. I assume the writers wanted to make it clear that Willow conjured this demon and explain why at first she doesn't think it's real when it breaks into real life. But this repetition of the imagery and the scene makes the episode slower as well. At 27 minutes, 54 seconds, Buffy throws candles at Spike to wake him up. They're not lit. They're just unlit candles, pillar candles. But he jokes someone should teach her to use candles as foreplay. She tells him Dawn is missing and Spike says, again, you ever think about getting a lojack for the girl? He scoffs when Buffy says Dawn is with Willow. That's a pretty sorry excuse to come by, but he does get worried when Buffy mentions Rack. Spike knows about Rack. He deals in dark magic. He's dangerous. And he tells Buffy that Rack cloaks the place and you can only feel it if you are a witch or vampire. Spike is naked and Buffy turns her back when he gets out of bed to get dressed and Spike says oh that's right hide your blushing eyes. At 28 minutes 21 seconds Dawn is standing in that waiting room arms crossed and she starts to go into the room, but Willow finally emerges. Her eyes are black. Dawn says it's too late for the movie. Willow calls Dawn Donnie, which Glory used to do. Dawn notices Willow's eyes and asks if she's okay. Outside, they walk again, and Willow asks what Dawn wants to do. She's not happy when Dawn just wants to go home, and she mocks Dawn. The demon follows them, but neither Willow nor Dawn notices anything. The scene cuts to Buffy and Spike also walking, and Buffy asks if Spike senses anything. He tells her he might pick up on something if she stops asking every two seconds. She then accuses him of drawing this 
out to spend time with her, but he tells her, no, everything's changed. And she says all that changed is she's disgusted with herself. Last night was the most perverse, degrading experience of her life. And Spike smiles and says, yeah, me too. He admits that she's had the upper hand till now. He loves her. She knows it. But he's got his rocks back. She felt something last night. Buffy tells him it's not love. And Spike says not yet but she'll crave him and next time she comes calling if she keeps being such a bitch he might just bite her this is new dialogue but it also retreads a lot of the ground from the conflict in the morning and adds to that slower pace i'm not sure if i felt like that on the first watch of it I might have really wanted to see how will Buffy feel, what will she say now that a day has passed. Now Buffy tells him that's it. She wants him out of her life, out of her work. He tells her it's too late. She invited him in and she needs him for her work. But she insists she'll find Dawn on her own. He asks if she's really going to risk Dawn's life to prove a point. The scene cuts to the alley where Dawn again says she wants to go home and Willow tells her just go then. But Dawn is nervous going by herself and now Willow offers to just pop her back with some magic. Dawn hears a sound and at 31 minutes 30 seconds the demon appears. Willow says it's not real but the demon says Willow summoned it. Willow denies that and it backhands Dawn across the face, scraping and cutting her cheek. Dawn kicks the demon, yay Dawn, and they run away. Willow magically opens a parked car's doors. They get in and she drives the car magically as well. She is laughing, practically howling with laughter as she drives. And I wonder whether Dawn's feelings about this later might not be quite as intense if at least at this point Willow took this seriously, but she doesn't. Probably she can't. Dawn is frightened as the car careens around a corner. The demon runs behind them. Willow doesn't watch where they're going and Dawn screams. Then the car crashes and we go to commercial. After a very busy start to the year, including releasing my new mystery, The Forgotten Man, I am taking a break in June. There won't be a new Buffy in the Art of Story podcast episode during that month. The podcast will return in July with Gone, where Buffy turns invisible. It's one of my least favorite Buffy episodes, but I recall there was lots to enjoy in it as well, as is always the case with Buffy. Remember, if you are a patron and you want to hear about Buffy while the podcast is on a break, you can check out the bonus episodes on Patreon. Also, if anyone would like to share your thoughts on this episode or on Gone, especially what you liked or didn't in either of them or in Smashed for that matter, and have those thoughts included in the episode, email me at buffystorypod at gmail.com. If you send your comments by June 20th, I will do my best to include them in the next episode. That crash, or when the demon first attacked, probably was the three-quarter turn, the last major plot point of this episode, if we see it as a single episode story. It comes from the midpoint where Willow decided to take Dawn with her to Rax and takes the story in another new direction. It also raises the stakes because this is the first time that we see that there is danger not just to Willow, to her psyche, or just coming out of Willow's irresponsibility because she is not thinking straight by taking Dawn to Rax. Now there is 
physical danger and the possibility of Dawn getting killed. At 32 minutes 40 seconds, Dawn exits the car, which is smoking. The demon lunges and Dawn dives underneath the vehicle. Another reason I like Dawn in this episode, she's scared and angry, but she's resourceful. She kicked that demon. She gets under the car to try to keep away from it. She does her very best. Spike and Buffy hear Dawn scream. The demon drags Dawn out from under the car. She tries again to fight and to run, but it backhands her and she flies and lands hard on the pavement. Buffy arrives. She fights the demon as Spike runs to Dawn. The demon has the upper hand for a moment. Buffy rallies for another attack, but it suddenly self-destructs. At 34 minutes, 48 seconds, Willow emerges. From behind the demon, sparks crackling around her. And this is the first time watching it to break it down for the podcast that I realized that Willow killed the demon. Up until now, I I really did think it self-destructed that maybe the magic that created it only lasted so long. But this seems pretty clear that Willow did this. Buffy runs to Dawn. Spike helps Dawn to her feet. And Willow keeps asking Dawn if she's okay and trying to apologize. And Buffy tells Willow, stay away. Willow, still calling Dawn Dawnie, says she's sorry. It was an accident. And Dawn slaps Willow's face. So clearly very strong action showing both how angry she is and the adrenaline rush from the danger. The earlier dialogue also was so powerful because it told us it isn't just about the danger. It's that someone finally wanted to hang out with Dawn, she thought, to go to the movies, to have dinner, and it must feel to her like it turns out Willow was just taking her to the movies as an excuse to go to Rax. So she also feels rejected. Willow falls on the ground sobbing. Buffy is hesitating between Dawn and Willow and Spike nods to Buffy and he leads Dawn away. In some ways, this suggests Buffy does need Spike for work. She would not leave Dawn to go home alone or even to stand there alone to go back to Willow if Spike weren't there. On the other hand, did Spike help her find Dawn? There's no evidence that Spike and Buffy found Rack's place. Buffy heard Dawn screaming, but maybe Spike helped get her into the right vicinity. This is the last Buffy and Spike interaction. So was there a climax either of their two episode arc or of their story in this episode? I'm not sure that fight the last one didn't feel like a climax. Nobody won or lost. There was no resolution. There is a sort of resolution here when Buffy lets Spike help with Dawn. Yet I don't think we can say either one prevails. It's more of an uneasy truce of sorts. Buffy returns to the sobbing Willow, tells her to get up, And she says, Willow screwed up. She could have killed Dawn. Willow knows and she sobs and says she can't stop. She tried and she can't. Buffy says, you can. But Willow keeps saying she can't and goes on. God, I need help. Please, please help me. She hugs Buffy, pleading with her. And Buffy holds her looking stoic. This, to me, is the climax of the Willow plot, whether we look at it as two episodes or see it as this episode alone. And that storyline is one of Willow versus Willow. She is the protagonist and the antagonist. And the climax probably begins with that crash and the demon attack because now the danger is very real and it resolves when she admits to Buffy and herself that she cannot stop and she needs help. I do think Willow's story is a two-part story starting with Smashed. 
because the end of Smashed was that sort of magical extravaganza with Amy at the bronze, but it did not feel like any sort of resolution. It really did feel more like a reversal or commitment, and this resolves the issue of Willow and magic. Buffy's story feels more like two different stories now that I see both episodes. One resolved in Smashed where Buffy made the choice to act on her desires and this episode is about how Buffy deals with her choice and resolves as I said with her tacitly allowing Spike to remain in her life but I also think that the Buffy Spike storyline is more of a season arc that doesn't resolve here. Willow's is a season arc as well but you can see a complete story in these two episodes. Now we're at the falling action at 36 minutes, 49 seconds. Willow sits on her bed alone, wrapped in a blanket. Buffy enters, sits on the side of the bed, tells Willow that Dawn is sleeping. The ER doc gave her pain meds and Willow says she's going to be all right. And Buffy says, it's a fracture. It's going to take some time. This is such a great line. On the surface, it's about Dawn's arm but the subtext and the whole scene will be full of subtext is about willow and buffy's friendship which is fractured and might take some time and also about willow and dawn's relationship buffy now says she doesn't understand why willow would go see rack and more why she took dawn with her willow responds that she thought she had magic under control and she admits the problems weren't because of tara leaving instead they are why Tara left it started before that and Buffy says it seemed like things were going so well and Willow responds it was but I mean if you could be plain old Willow or super Willow who would you be Buffy just looks at her and Willow says I guess you don't actually have an option on the whole super thing this adds to the sense of the subtext here because This season, Buffy doesn't want to be in this world being the Slayer. She is tired of fighting so much. It feels overwhelming. And you can see her being with Spike as an escape from that, at least for a while. She probably shuts everything else out. In contrast, Willow wants the opposite. She doesn't want to be what she sees as ordinary as her old self. She wants to be super Willow. Buffy tells Willow there's nothing wrong with her. She doesn't need magic to be special. But Willow says before magic, she was just, quote, some girl, end quote. And she goes on, Tara didn't even know that girl. Buffy says, you were more than some girl and Tara wants you to stop and she loves you. Willow's not so sure about that and she says magic took her away from herself. She felt free and Buffy responds, I get that more than you, but it's wrong. People get hurt. I love the Buffy subtext here. Part of what I struggle with in this episode is that while I get that Willow's desire to not be ordinary, to not feel like her old self could lead her to more and more magic and disregarding the risks, I can't quite buy into Willow needing to get away from that old self to escape from that self in the way she seems to be saying here. That's because the Willow we saw in seasons one through three, yeah, she she was shy, she felt awkward and excluded socially some of the time. And I get that Willow now still has some insecurity about that, but Willow also seemed to like herself pretty well. I always read her issues with magic as being more about her trouble dealing with emotions, the de-lusting spells she wanted to try try for her and Xander to avoid both the feelings and the consequences of those feelings. The spell she did when Oz left, trying to skip over the grieving over that relationship 
or get past her anger when she did the spell to try to hurt Veruca and, and Oz. Maybe not get past the anger, to act on the anger, but the goal was to make herself feel better. Maybe that's too fine a line on that. I'd love to hear what you think about that. Willow now says she was out of her mind. She did things she can't, and she doesn't finish, but Buffy is silent, and Willow goes on, it's all over, she's done, and Buffy says, good, I think it's right to give it up, no matter how good it feels, and Willow says, it's not worth it, not if it messes with the people I love. She goes on that magic wasn't all great, she won't miss the nosebleeds and the headaches and stuff, and says, or keeping stinky yak cheese in my bra, don't ask. And Buffy quietly says, now I don't have to. This too, lots of parallels, Buffy to Willow, though I'm not sure, and this goes back to my question about why Buffy's so disgusted with herself, I'm not sure who her being with Spike is hurting, because Willow says not if it messes with the people I love. Yes, Buffy did not come home and Dawn was left alone for the night. That could be resolved by her having sex with Spike and going home. It is not the same correlation as Willow's, and it adds to my feeling of not getting enough of how Buffy feels here. There are more parallels. The scene cuts to nighttime. Willow is in bed, awake, sweating, breathing hard, going through withdrawal. Buffy sits in her room alone, fully dressed on her bed, garlic hung all around her and holding a cross. And while they are experiencing somewhat parallel things, they are separated. This scene with Buffy reminded me of when Willow came over when Angel was stalking Buffy when he had gone evil. Willow came over after he killed her fish and the two of them sat on Buffy's bed and that's the only other time that we saw garlic hanging all around the room. Adding to that parallel, Angel versus Spike, that question, but also fascinating that in that one, Willow and Buffy were together. Now they are going through something but separately. And I would love to know if Marty Noxon purposely called back to that scene in season two, or if it was simply there somewhere in her unconscious and she echoed the imagery. Either way, so powerful and so subtle. And that is it for the episode, other than foreshadowing, which does include spoilers. If you find the way I break down story helpful and want to try it for your own fiction, you can download free story structure worksheets at writingasasecondcareer.com slash worksheets. If you're not staying for foreshadowing and spoilers, thank you so much for listening and a special thank you to patrons who support the show. Come back in July for season six, episode nine, Gone, where Buffy becomes invisible and Willow struggles to quit magic cold turkey. And we are back for foreshadowing, which includes spoilers. One purpose I saw for repeating that library talk where Anya and Xander point out their concerns about Willow and Buffy pushes back is that in the next episode, Dawn will be angry at Buffy as well as Willow. And Buffy will say it's because Buffy's best friend was in trouble and Buffy didn't see it. She was too wrapped up in her own life. So that may be why we get that twice. Other people trying to point this out to Buffy, Buffy not really hearing it. And maybe that also answers my question about who gets hurt because of Buffy and Spike, because she feels guilty. She was so in turmoil over Spike and also all her other issues that she didn't see what was happening to Willow. Amy's line also foreshadows that when Amy says Willow understands and Buffy doubts it, Amy says she's as bad as I am worse. So Amy also told Buffy. Willow calling Dawn Donnie, offering to pop her back 
despite the risk of doing that magically, foreshadows the end of the season where Dawn goes to Rax to look for Dark Willow and finds her, and Willow threatens to turn Dawn back into a key or a ball of energy, and she calls her Dawnie and tells her how whiny and annoying she is. We are seeing the seeds of that here. In this episode, Buffy immediately says no when Xander suggests she patrol with Spike. This is the moment that makes me wonder, is it Buffy who is keeping Spike away from her friends? Because I'm always disappointed in season six that that relationship Spike had with Dawn and Spike had with Willow doesn't really appear in this season. We, we saw a little bit today that Spike goes right to Dawn to help her when Buffy's fighting. He stays with Dawn while Buffy talks to Willow. So we get a little bit, but most of it is lost this season. And maybe that is why. Lots of foreshadowing of Amy and her attitude toward Willow. Right now she's enthusiastic about Willow's spells, but we see that jealousy about Rack and her saying Willow is worse than her builds later into resentment. First, Amy comes and gifts Willow without asking a spell that makes it so much harder for Willow to stay away from magic. Amy seems angry that Willow is quitting. Either it makes her feel bad that maybe she has a problem with magic too in the way that sometimes alcoholics are unhappy if other people at the table aren't drinking, it makes them uncomfortable. Or she's resenting that Willow is so powerful and is choosing not to use her power. Whatever it is in this season, it grows in season seven to the point where she casts that spell that causes Kennedy to turn into Warren and almost gets Willow killed. All of that woven in here so very well and it's it's subtle and I buy it and I love that the writers do so much with a character who seemed to be relatively minor. It's always fun as a viewer, a reader, or a writer when a character like that turns out to be so much more layered and interesting than you first thought. That is it for Wrecked. Thank you again for listening. Come back in July for Gone, where Buffy has to deal with a social worker and with the trio who turn her into something that rhymes with Blinvisible. If you enjoyed this episode of Buffy and the Art of Story, please rate or review it wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell a friend about it or share it on social media. You can find back episodes of the podcast on YouTube or at lisalilly.com, where you can also find my mysteries and thrillers and the Buffy and the Art of Story books. If you'd like to connect or share your thoughts about Buffy, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Lisa M. Lilly or email me at buffystorypod at gmail.com. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2023. All rights reserved.